is Creative Resistance, the podcast miniseries, where in each episode we explore how art and activism can be combined to resist power and affect social change. I'm your host, Sarah J. Halford. The first time I toured Politooki in 2008, there was a really funny situation where I actually got protested. And it wasn't a big protest, but I was really excited about it. But it was like it was like three or four people. And they came and they were like really loud and they were really angry. It was before the show. And they were yelling at me about how I'm some pro Obama outfit or something. And I and then it was great because I was like I got to say it. I was like, no, I'm not. And they're like, what do you mean? And I was like, this isn't about my personal politics, this is about politics in general. If you look in my program, you can see I have nine I have eight different candidates who are running for president. I don't just have Democrats and Republicans. I have Libertarians. I have Constitution Party members. I have people from the Peace and Liberation Party. Like, parties you don't even know about. Pe- these people are on the ballot. And so after, like, a bit of, like, canoodling and sort of, like, getting them to calm down a bit, they decided to stay. And, um, and one of the guys who was protesting me decided to give a speech. And he picked a speech from his favorite candidate, Chuck Baldwin, from the Constitution Party... And he picked a speech, and it was it was he picked it was a part of his acceptance speech, accepting his accepting the party's nomination, and it was about immigration. And the guy gets up and he starts delivering the speech, and he knew everything about the Constitution Party, or so he thought, because apparently he didn't know about their immigration policy, and their immigration policy is very much a la Trump. But this was back in 2008, so it's even stranger. Mm-hmm. And it's this guy talking about building a wall between us and Mexico, and um, how he's just going to send everyone back. It's not even about just building a wall, but it's like, I'm going to take all the Mexican immigrants and just put them back over there. That's scary foreshadowing. Yeah, and (laughs) this guy who loves Chuck Baldwin and loves the Constitution Party happens to have a Mexican wife. (laughs) And so in the middle, he kind of loses it in the middle of speech. He can't even really finish delivering it. And the end of the show, he's sitting there with his friends and there's another guy who came came, came to the show who was the Green Party rep- candidate running for a representative spot. And there was another guy who said he was a Democrat. And they're drinking a beer with this guy. Like, helping him, like, work through the feelings of the fact that his favorite candidate happens to hate his wife. Um, and it's clear that this guy, like, it, his world just kind of opened up. And he had this huge realization that, like, he didn't really know as much as he thought he did. And that there's a lot happening outside of these like 30 second clips that he's seeing on the news or like, you know. How do we know if all this work we've done has been successful or not? When people talk about success and failure, typically there's something that they use to measure the work against to help determine what makes a success and what makes a failure. That determining factor is called a metric. Sometimes the metrics are rigid and sometimes they're more flexible, but what kind of metrics do we use in artistic activism? If you feel like crawling into a hole and hiding to avoid this conversation on success and failure, I don't blame you because if you've ever been given a grading rubric in class, then you've been subjected to metrics that are totally out of your control. Steve happens to be a professor, so I asked him specifically about rubrics. Well, first of all, as a teacher, I know that when I do assign that, it's absolute bullshit. (laughs) That in the end, I'm sitting there with a grade book and I'm not not paying attention to things like attendance and grades and so on and so forth. But what I'm really trying to suss out is who is this person and how far have they come on their journey to success? 
and that success is very relative to themselves. Um, it's not, uh, I might say there's a definite standard, but it's just, uh, it's just a fiction. It's always a relative standard. Aha, uh-huh. this is huge. So the metrics that other people place upon you is fiction. It's a constructed idea of what success and failure mean to them, in this case, the teacher or the school. Now, obviously, sometimes we have to follow other people's metrics. We can't just make an appointment with the professor to tell them that the grade they gave us was a construct, right? But the reason why this is so huge is because when we realize that other people's metrics are fiction, that they're made up to help them make sense of the world or their class or what have you, then it takes away some of the power that those metrics have over us. And if they can make up their metrics, then so can we. I'm very interested in... Metrics which are relative to what artistic activists want to do. So when I'm asked to go in and, you know, give my crit of an artistic activist project or something of that nature, I never say it's a success or a failure. What I do is I ask the person who's doing it, what did you want to accomplish? And then how will you know if you accomplished that? And then did it accomplish that? How do you know? How do you not know? Um, I think it's too arrogant to go out and say, well, here's the one path to success. You must do this, okay? Um, That just doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem to get at the nuances of how art works and how artistic activism should work. But I do think we need to demand that people have an idea of what they want to have happen and have criteria, their own criteria, for measurements of are we moving closer to it or farther away from it? Because without those measurements, how do you know if you're doing what you're doing actually works? So it's all relative to what we want to accomplish with the work. I asked art activists to give me some examples of when things went well and when they didn't go so well in order to get an idea of what kind of metrics they use to measure success and failure. Elliot Crown is a theater maker who often appears at protests with creative signs and in costumes in the hope of creating an image for the media that they'll want to publish. He's shown up at protests dressed like the Statue of Liberty, with one half of Lady Liberty's face normal and the other half as a skull. Interpret that as you will, but it makes for a really great image. So Elliot's objective is to use his theatricality to create images that help to garner media attention for the protest and then ultimately for the cause itself. For Trump's performance at Saturday Night Live, I made a big sign, Trump, make America hate again. And that damn sign has been in the mainstream media seven or eight or nine times. Everybody got it. Good Morning America, Yahoo News, AOL Finance, The Guardian. The first time we did it... So media attention can be a metric. For Elliot, it's one of the ways that he measures success, but also failure. For him, the lack of media attention is an indication that the piece just isn't quite working. I try to go where the media are going to be. It's very hard to get media to show up at your demonstration for your cause. But they will show up for a protest if it looks like it's got some energy behind it. So I go where they'll be and I give them what they want. I did this at the Halloween parade because there are 3 million viewers and it's on TV. And I wanted that image to get in people's minds. So I'm just surfing off the media. It's there and I'll show up with something that may work. And sometimes it doesn't work. I tried to do something when the Pope was here. And a bunch of reporters came up to me and took pictures. I asked them if they think that they'll run the picture and they said no. I realized then that the Pope was the story, not me. You know, when I do these things, and I do them with friends, I know if it's working. And if I'm looking out there and there's 10 photographers all shooting, it's working. 
And if I do a show and all of my friends are giddy and smiling and don't run away, the shows that don't work, everybody leaves after. But the shows that do work, nobody wants to go home. I always check to see where it's gone in the media and to archive it for I don't know what. I do like to see it at least getting mainstream coverage, which is the point. But it's been the 21st century for a while now, so when we talk about media, we also have to address social media. Remember the group The Illuminator? They're the art activists that create large-scale projections to get a message across. So here's an example. After a sexual assault case emerged at Columbia University and was handled really poorly by the administration, Illuminator showed up on campus around the same time that potential students were coming to visit and projected Columbia protects rapists on one of the main buildings on campus. They did so to embarrass the administration and warn potential students about how the university that they were considering handles things like sexual assault. But remember that these are light projections, so the illuminator can't present them during the day. So they take a picture or video and present it to their audiences through social media. And social media is so seductive when we're talking about metrics because they literally put the metrics right in front of you through likes, shares, retweets, etc. Facebook made their metrics even more complex when they introduced reactions like an option to click love or sad or angry. One of the Illuminator's objectives is to ignite the conversation around an issue through their work. And on social media, they can see the conversation play out right in front of them. But when I spoke to Mark Reed, one of the founders of the Illuminator, he pointed out that it may not be enough to say that something was a success or a failure based on the amount of reactions or comments alone. It's creating an effect on social media, but what about out there in the real world? You know, you never, there's a, you know, the term called collectivism, or, you know, slacktivist, um, I don't know, maybe there are other terms, um, where you feel like you're doing something when you're just sort of getting a lot of likes and clicks on what is it actually doing, what are the, what is there a way to measure the effect, and uh, that, it's, it's, you know, we can think that that's a kind of new problem because, you know, social media and, and, and the internet, and the internet, but you know, the truth is that within social struggle, you know, cultural production or art of any kind has always been, like, its effect on political struggle has always been murky. You know, this, this sort of this question of, of, well, what is the audience and what is the, what is the intention? Is it to persuade or is it to sort of inspire the people that already sort of, you know, more or less agree with you? And it may be both or it may, be, it may change context to context, uh, you know, action to action. But, in, in, you know, in any case, we, there's no... When you're when you're doing when you're a culture worker, uh, you know, an artist or a writer or you know, a cult, you know, you're involved in cultural production of some sort or another. Um, what you're doing, or I think, what, what what we're largely trying to do is changing or or shifting the atmosphere in which you know more tangible political struggles or policy and so on and so forth take place. So that you know, we're not directly impacting policy, but we're trying to affect the, the conditions under which the discussions about policy take place. So we're changing the atmosphere, you know, and that's really what cultural workers and artists, that's what we're really involved in is, is changing the culture, you know, shifting the culture in which um, all of these struggles take place. And, and, and that culture is online as well.
in artistic activism, we're spending a lot of time working with affect, how people are moved by the art and its message. So it's really no surprise that art activists often use feeling as a metric of success and failure. Yeah. Can you tell me about one of your favorite works that you thought was very successful? For me, it's, it, it was the um, fall of the European border. It, uh, this is Andre Leopold, a member of the Center for Political Beauty based in Berlin. You might remember Andre from a previous episode. He told me about how political beauty uses highly produced theatrical spectacles to shock and shake up the public through confrontation. So in this action that Andre is talking about, the first fall of the European Wall, political beauty took the white crosses that were created to commemorate the victims of the Berlin Wall out of their original places in government quarters. They took these crosses, which are essentially sacred objects, to a fence on the European border in order to illustrate for European governments a kind of preemptive commemoration for the next refugees who they say will die at Europe's border. Europe's metaphorical wall due to nationalist and anti-immigration efforts. As you can imagine, people were not happy. Andre, on the other hand, counts this action as one of the most successful artworks that political beauty has executed. Here's why. It was a very magical um, um, time for me. A very magical moment was this this Saturday afternoon where we uh, take out the crosses, the white crosses, uh, put them away and uh, and sending them on a vacation. Yeah, and magical because words we, we, we were creating, which were uh, at once uh, used by, 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 by the media, by the politi politicians, we, we uh, uh, some some months later, we we discovered uh, that that some big newspapers uh, and uh, uh, were very much inspired by it uh, and and all the stuff to, to feel that you 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 are something like a, a, someone who delivers uh, inspiration inside the the right heads. Uh, it's, a, it's a very good feeling. So so this was magical. But there's a trap here when using affect as a metric that I noticed when I asked Andre about the audience's experience with this magical feeling. So you said it, it, it created like a magical feeling within you. Did you see any indications of it going very well outside of just your feeling? It, it, it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't went so well outside for me um, because there was too much too much borders uh, we were uh, too much walls we. Um, we, we went against uh, but what I mean with, with magic is uh, that it's possible to, to, to communicate with, with people uh, uh, in, a, in another form in another way than, than by words and, uh, and for me the feeling is very important yeah. The trap of using feeling or affect as a metric is that we can easily forget about effect. Now, in Andre's case, he does talk about the media attention and politicians using political beauty's phrases as an effect. But it's not uncommon for art activists to get tied up in the affect that the work creates, whether we want to create Andre's magical feeling or piss people off or inspire them. We're doing this work because we want to create change or resist those in power. But if you stop at the affect, then the whole thing is sort of half-baked. The affect that's created is supposed to be the means to the ends of creating an effect. So while affect can be an indication that the work is resonating with the audience, it doesn't necessarily mean that it has created change. For that, we have to look beyond the affect at the effect. But here's the thing, we need to get real about what the work can actually accomplish. 
One piece, one tactic, one strategy is not gonna change things en masse, but it might shift things a little bit. So progress can be slow, painfully slow, but using metrics is a great way to track the progress that we are making, assess what we can do better, and keep us moving forward. So the recap for this episode is a little bit different because while we heard some other artists' metrics of success and failure, it's really up to you to determine what metrics make sense for your own work and your own objectives. But I wanna recognize that sometimes people bristle when they hear words like success or failure. They sound too harsh, too definitive. But remember that these things are relative to both the work and your personal outlook on the world. So really, these words are just placeholders for whatever measurements make sense to you. And there's kind of a life lesson in here too. Are we gonna let others dictate whether we think of our work as successful or not? Or is it possible to let them have their own opinions and recognize them because remember, sometimes we do have to submit to other people's metrics, but give more importance to the way that we measure our own success and failure. And sometimes just putting the piece out there, allowing yourself to be vulnerable in that way is a success in and of itself. But once we can get more confident in our own metrics, the way that other people measure success or failure becomes much less scary. And then if they do try to push their metrics on you, you can sit back, smile, and listen to their wonderful work of fiction. So I hope you were able to take away something from this podcast mini-series that will help you in your own work with artistic activism. If you want some more information, visit the Center for Artistic Activism's website at c4aa.org. That's c4aa.org. There, you'll also be able to find my entire collection of artist interviews if you want to give them a read. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope to see you out there creatively resisting soon.